Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 162 of FSOP Collaborate and Listen. This week's episode features a photographer hailing from Salt Lake City, Utah. He's a great guy and a supporter of the show. Our guest is an absolute master of drone photography, including cityscapes, landscapes, architecture, night photography, and everything in between. We had a wonderful time chatting all about drones. Without further ado, welcome Drew Armstrong to the show. Drew and I had a really fun time and went really deep into drone photography, including why Drew likes using drones for his photography, how to choose a drone for your photography, getting a Part 107 license for drone photography, how to deal with people yelling at you while piloting, what to do about losing or crashing your drone, governmental regulations around drone photography, and much more. Well, over on Patreon this week, Drew shares his experience raising his transgender son and how that has impacted his photography work and him as an artist. Really fantastic conversation. Well, before we get started, I did want to remind listeners that my good friend Gary Randall still has some workshop openings for his 2020 Alaska photography workshops. You could not meet a nicer guy than Gary, so I really think you'll love going with him to photograph bears on the Kenai Peninsula. Check it out by going to gary-randall.com. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Let's get to the show. Drew, Am- Drew Armstrong, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Hey, you're, you're welcome, and thank you for uh, having me. Appreciate yeah, man. I've, yeah, I've been uh, enjoying a lot of the work you've been putting up and just been enjoying all the conversations we've been involved in and really appreciate your support of the show as well. Oh, uh, no problem. It's uh, I think it's worthwhile, and I get so much out of the show that I'm um, – I'm flattered to to even be here, but I'm also, um, uh, you know, I if I can return a little bit and help other people out um, somewhat, I I if if I can provide as much help as I've received, then I'm I'm doing well. That's what it's all about, man. That's the uh, that's why we're doing it. Well, I don't know that a ton of people know you. No, so. Tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Well, I, I'm a real estate broker by trade. That's my profession. Um, and I have been interested in photography, um, among other hobbies over the years. Um, and you know, I, for a long time, I'd get pretty into it for a couple of years and then I'd get out of it. My first camera was a Canon AE one program in high school in the eighties. And, uh, and I think my, my first DSLR was a six megapixel Canon, uh, D 60. And I bought it in a 14 millimeter, uh, F 2.8 lens to take pictures of real estate, um, probably in 2003. And, uh, and I was kind of like, yeah, you know, I mean, this is a great landscape camera. I should do that for a little bit. And I, I did, uh, I got into it for a little bit, but I was kind of frustrated with resolution compared to film. And, um, then I, I kind of didn't really catch it again until it was probably in 2014, um, Hmm. maybe 2013. And I, I ended up with like a, a Canon, uh, 70 Mark II. And then, uh, um, ended up getting really into drones. And so I, I moved to Sony, um, because the drones were lighter weight and did better video than Canon. And, um, and so I, at this point, I don't carry, uh, cameras with my drones anymore i i the cameras on them are are good enough that uh, right. i'm happy with those but i do a lot of travel photography and a lot of landscape photography and a lot of aerial and uh, architectural photography yeah did you get into the architectural because you were tired of paying somebody else to take pictures for you <laughs> you know honestly it wasn't that i was tired of paying anybody to do it it wasn't it was that i couldn't get anybody who was consistently good at it and hmm. And, uh, I, I was never really happy with, uh, other people's, uh, 
photography and I've always been a techie guy. You know, I, I, I've been our, our association of realtors technology committee chairperson for our association a couple of times because tech was always, always the thing I was into. And I mean, I, we, I was doing like virtual tours in, in 1995 and video, oh, <laughs> yeah, video of, of homes. Like, you know, I, I had a Canon GL2 uh, video camera that I used to, you know, do video tours of stuff. And I have a early account on YouTube that has about 150 homes on it that are like, you know, four megabyte files of videos of these houses and stuff. And so uh, tech has always been something that was interesting to me. And then um, when I, I, the art end of it came after the tech end of it for me. And I started getting more and more addicted to it um, and enthralled with what I could do as far as, um, you know, I guess communicating through photography to the point where, where I, I, I don't know, I've been pretty involved in photography at this point, you know, and I, 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 I don't know. I love to share with other people what I'm seeing and maybe feeling in, in a, moment and i think that especially nowadays photography is kind of the universal language of our time you know and um it it takes a little bit to learn to fluently communicate with that language but when you do you're able to share in a way that's kind of uninhibited by nuances of language or somebody else's understanding of that language and and making these pictures becomes a method of communication that allows us to communicate our vision in a way that nobody else would see it exactly the same way but in in a way that that language doesn't get in the way of and i i really love that and i i like to yeah. i like to do it in a way that you know i mean the the response that you see in others when they see your pictures and things like that. That's, that's exciting. I made a ton of friends through it, you know, not just in taking the pictures, but in people's response to, to seeing the work that I've done. I, you know, I had somebody, I always check a Facebook friend request today. I'm like, how did you find out about me? And she's like, one of my friends showed me a picture that you took. I'm like, Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You know, it's interesting you said that photography is a, a way of communicating. And I'm curious, what types of things do you try to communicate through the use of drones? Oh, um, okay. So when I was a kid, my dad was a private pilot. And uh, we had airplanes growing up and we'd fly back and forth from up uh, a parachute, Colorado. Um yeah. And Boulder, it, he grew up, he went to Boulder High, and we'd fly back and forth between there and Utah and California all the time. I, one time I remember we flew right over Edwards Air Force Base, and uh, the air traffic controller heard kids in the background on the radios and uh, told us to fly. We flew a thousand feet over the space shuttle on top of a 747. It was awesome. But I wow. Yeah, I I've always loved the the that aerial vision and I started getting my pilot's license at one point and my my stepmom actually has burns over 30% of her body from a, a small plane accident and and oh, so wow. th- there's you know I and I started realizing I know a ton of people that have been killed in small planes and uh and so I decided that I was going to um, postpone that or put that off or maybe just not do it. But when drones started coming out, I, I got, um, I, I got one that was not a DJI, um, and it carried a, a GoPro two, um, and it sucked. It crashed all the time. It was terrible. And so I, I left it alone for quite a while. And, and then, uh, I, I had a friend that ended up with a, uh, uh, one of the very, very first Inspire ones. And I went out with him one time and uh, I shot with that a little bit. And I was like, this is killer. This is amazing. And I went and got one. Didn't fly it for a month and a half because I was too afraid, but um, <laughs> I was terrified. <laughs> but Dude, I know every, everyone that I talk to that flies drones has that same kind of reaction that, that it's, almost it's a huge adrenaline rush but the fear of you know losing your drone or crashing your drone like it just it's exhausting <laughs> it, it, it it is it at this point i don't worry about it the same way because i've got you know about 500 hours of drone piloting experience but but i i 
I love it, and I love the the angles that you can get, and the and the perspective that it gives you that's completely different. And I've I, I act, actually at this point that you know I've gotten deep enough into photography that the the drones that I've got actually have like the the Inspire One. Um, it has a camera that's called the X5 that will carry uh, that uses certain uh, micro four thirds lenses, and now the new Inspire 2 drone has a camera that's called the X7 that is a crop sensor camera with basically the same sensor as the Sony A6500, and right. and so now you can get. Um, like I've got a nine millimeter lens for that, which on the crop is about a 14. And man, you know, you go sit right on top of a building or a rock and, and take this picture where, where you, you know, we know how lenses work and how you can get compression with a 50 millimeter. That's really a 75 because of the crop factor. And, and you can get this, you know, make it so that the, the mountains are still huge in the background and, and, or you, or you sit right on top of a, of a, uh, you know, rock formation or a, or a, um, well, one of the other things I, like I, I was out with, um, with, and I'm not going to mention this photographer. He's one that you've, you've uh, had on, but, um, we went out to, to the Bistai Badlands and, you know, he's flying around at a thousand feet. I'm like, you can't do that. You know, you're, you're way too high. That's not, and he's like, oh, geez, I didn't know he's not from here. And, uh, But, you know, you get a 14 millimeter lens and you can do it at 400 um, feet. You can get that or you you do a pano stitch by actually moving the drone. You can do that, too. But but there's there's some ways that you can capture some stuff um, to where you get some of that abstract um, that that you don't. I mean, it's just cool. I love the abstract stuff that you can do from a drone, especially oh, you know down crazy. down here. We've talked a little bit about you know about that whole mess of of a problem that we're having in Utah with um, the ATVs and motorcycles down at uh, Factory Butte. It's just killing me. But um, right, you know, you can get some amazing amazing stuff with it. But I I like that, and I like uh, cityscapes with it, and. Um, I really like taking pictures of buildings and and the lighting. I like I, I do a lot of nighttime photography with the drone. I've even done nighttime. Really? Yeah, um, I, I've got a, a Part 107 license and a daylight waiver, and so um, I, I've got the first one in Utah. But I um, I do a lot of architectural photography with the drone at night. But then I I've actually done a little bit of Milky Way photography with it. Doesn't work great, but I like it and. Uh, yeah. And I've done, um, uh, like I went down to the San Rafael Swell and have done uh, photography with the drone at night in with where the landscape is moonlit, but you're getting it from the sky. So sure. that's, that's kind of fun too. So are you pretty much dependent on there being absolutely zero wind in those kind of conditions? No, the, the drone and, and kind of the bigger drone you get, the more able they are to withstand the movement. And, and remember that, you know, I, I mean, it depends if, uh, okay. So, so if you get an Inspire One drone with the X5 camera, you can get a 45 millimeter Olympus lens. And with the crop factor of it being micro four thirds, you get a 90 millimeter uh, field of view basically. And with, with the, Inspire 2 and the X7, it has a 50 millimeter lens with a 1.5 crop factor. So you've got a 75. So when you, when you're working with some of those longer focal lengths, yeah, you can, you, you know, I mean, if it's more still, you do better, but with, with the wider lenses, especially when you're that far up in the air, um, a little bit of movement. It's just like with it's 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 the same principles as we use when we're doing uh, Milky Way photography, where where the the stars are moving right, and the wider the lens, the less you notice the movement. It's the right. same thing. Okay. And so when when you're flying a a 14 millimeter lens on the drone, if the drone moves even a little bit, you don't notice it with architectural too much. But 
but more than that, um, the gimbals that are on the drones are incredible. You asked me about uh, about whether the gimbal could handle the movement of the drone, and yes, they can. I mean, DJI makes some of the best gimbals, even for uh, DSLRs and and stuff like that that are out right now, and um, they really know their stuff as far as that goes. But the the Inspire Two has um which is my main drone has a uh has two separate cameras there's one in the nose and then there's one that that's the the camera that actually hangs below it and the gimbal on the the one below it it it's surprising how well it works and you can tell how well it works because the one that's in the nose of the drone doesn't have that kind of stabilization it's just for the pilot like if the pilot is going to fly right past a tree close or something well you've got a camera operator that's pointing the camera at something that's to the side a car or whatever he can track it that way and so i get a picture within a picture on my screen that shows me what the drone is doing relative to what the camera is doing that's sitting on the gimbal. And every once in a while, my heart kind of goes up in my throat because the drone tips almost sideways and the picture is fine because it's just reacting to the, you know, it's reacting to wind or, or whatever and, and trying to stay in place. And so it, it's, a, it's pretty astounding what you can do with it. And if I can, pull off a little bit of like Milky Way photography with it. It's kind of poor Milky Way photography that then it works. But I, I, uh, you know, I told you before I, I teach the new pilot experience class and, um, and I teach for DJI. And then I teach, uh, another class that's the, uh, like, a uh, aerial photography class up at picture line. That's a photography store, kind of the main photography store in Salt Lake city. And, oh, really? um, yeah, and I always tell people, and I can give give you some hints as far as uh, aerial photography goes. And dude, if you get a drone, I mean, if you're considering doing this, talk to me about it because I, I kind of keep my my head in that pretty deep. Um, but but a couple of things. the The first one is I always tell people that shooting with a drone, it it's a flying tripod is what it is. It's awesome. And it, it's, it's amazing what you can do with a, when you have a flying tripod. Um, there are some times that I've flown um, into places to do landscape photography, say of fall color or whatever. And I want a reflection off of a pond that is down there. And I fly the drone down off the top of a hill down to blow me and hover it right off the surface of a pond and get this reflection of, of a bunch of fall color in a, in a, you know, a landscape shot that I, I couldn't do otherwise. Cause I can't get to where I want to be. So th- there are cool things that you can do. I tell people when you're doing stills with a drone, use auto exposure bracketing all the time. And so hmm. it, it, it'll do either three or five shots. I always do five shots. I manually set the exposure, but I always do auto exposure bracketing and then I come back. And one of the reasons that you're doing that is because, um, like, especially if you're doing stuff at dusk or at dawn or at night is that you're going to take whichever one, whichever of the, it's not that you're doing HDR all the time. You're going to use whichever is the brightest based on the longest shutter speed that is still clear. Right. So still sharp enough to use. Yep. Yep. That's still sharp enough to use. So, so you, you just, you come back and you say, okay, what do I have? The other thing you do is you take the same shot over and over and over and over again. And it's smart to have pretty fast cards in there so that it loads onto the, onto the, uh, you know, so the camera is not not waiting. Yeah, you, buffering in a, in a drone that is trying to hold still for you to shoot a bracket is not what, a good thing. Four or five minutes of battery life. <laughs> oh, that, you know. Okay, so the or the fifteen th- or whatever it is. Well, yeah, the three drones that are most applicable and most important to photographers who are interested in still photography that are out right now is one, the Inspire Two, and I've seen Inspire Twos with a basic camera uh, of the X4S camera or something like that. I've seen them going for as cheap as like $3,500 right now. I'm into the one that I've got probably 22,000, something like that, um, because you can buy a lot of extra things for it, um, including lenses, different cameras, lots of batteries, a better controller, 
my controller actually has it right on the controller. I can adjust with a button and a dial. I can adjust the shutter speed, the ISO, and the aperture and exposure compensation right off of the controller without going through the app. So, really? yeah. So, it, I mean, it, it's incredible. It's a very, very, it's a flying camera. But and that's the, the Inspire too. Yes, but it's expensive. I mean, the cameras, you know, it's like buying an extra, uh, you know, Sony or whatever. The, the camera is like $2,800. The lens set that comes from DJI for it is about 4300 bucks. And then uh, there's there's another lens that I love. If anybody has an Inspire 2 that's out there, Lawa makes a lens with a DL mount that is a nine millimeter lens. So it translates to an crop. It's a, f- a 14 millimeter lens. And that, that thing is so fun. Uh, it's amazing. Huh. Um, I've only been around a couple of drones in my time and that's been a, um, the Phantom four pro and the, uh, what are the new, what's the Mavic, the Mavic two. I've only seen yeah, those yeah. two. Yep. And there's two Mavic twos. There's a Mavic two pro. And that's the one with the 21 megapixel camera on it. And that is a fantastic, fantastic drone. Um, and then the Inspire 2 Pro. I mean, I'm sorry. What am I saying? The the uh, uh, Phantom 2 Pro. And they have a version 1 and a version 2. And there's a difference between them. Um, that one has the same sensor that the Mavic 2 Pro does. But the glass on it's a little bit better. However, it doesn't fit in your pocket. And right, I was uh, going to say that's the I mean maybe that's a good opportunity for you to kind of compare and contrast different models like pros and cons. I don't we don't talk a ton about gear on the show, but like I feel like drones is one of those things that people are always asking about and I am like I don't have I have I know nothing. <laughs> well, if if anybody has questions about drones, feel free to reach out and and talk to me about it because I, that that's the area that I mean I I know everything that's I I'll tell you the coolest drone I've ever flown is a, I used to have a Matrice M600 Pro that is one of those big six prop, you know, heavy lifts. And I would carry a regular Sony A7R2 with it. And I, I had a, <laughs> That's I, awesome. I, yeah, I had a setup where I could actually control the aperture, the ISO, and everything from the ground. And I could see what the camera was seeing from the drone, but it did not. It was clunky. It didn't work great. Um, and so when the Inspire 2 came out, I didn't move to the Inspire 2 at that point. But when the X7 camera came out, which is about two years ago, at that point, I bought the Inspire 2 and and I bought the X7 camera for it. But um, most people are not going to be comfortable going and spending, like even to get into just the basic drone with the basic remote and and the X7 camera and and a lens, you're looking at seven or eight thousand dollars. And you know most of us are going to spend that kind of money on a regular camera, but to to go and do that for a drone, it's like no. It, and the truth is is that the when you're asking about gear it, the the Mavic 2 Pro and the Phantom 4 Professional especially the version 2 which is the only one that you can buy new now um those are the only ones that really matter and the Mavic 2 Pro will do probably 70% of what the Inspire 2 will do um for the cost of basically one lens for the Inspire right. 2. And so I was going to say I was going to say like the the biggest uh I guess the biggest hang up that I have is I'm a, the you know, I'm always a, I would always be afraid that I would lose it or that I would crash it and I would not be able to recover it and I know well, let's talk about some, that too. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say you've had some experience with that. So what is <laughs> like what's involved in in, you know, losing and crashing a drone? You know, it is so much better than it used to be. Starting with the Phantom 3. Um the uh, nobody ever really lost drones anymore after that one. And to begin with with the Inspire 1 Pro, um I I had some trouble with that, but they changed the firmware a couple of times and and then um, they're solved. You're not going to lose a drone anymore. They're not going to fly away. They could, there, there are a couple of different circumstances where, where you've got to be careful. Number one, if you're flying in a Wi-Fi congested environment, like in town, you need to be more careful because the drone hmm. is fighting for bandwidth among other Wi-Fi signals. Cause they're even either using the 2.4, or the 5.8 
gigahertz band. And so those can, yeah, they can get Wi-Fi congestion can screw you up. So when you're in town, like I could be a block away from my drone. And if I turn a corner, which I'm not supposed to, because you're supposed to remain line of sight, I could lose connection. And I, I guess I could tell you about shooting the state Capitol building a couple of weeks ago where I almost crashed into the dome because of this, because <laughs> you're that guy. Well, it it would have been. It, fortunately, I it, I mean this the Utah State Capitol is within five miles of the of the Salt Lake City Airport. It's controlled airspace. Oh, I had right. a waiver okay. to fly up there, but if I hadn't, so if I crashed into it, that would have been an accident because I had all the permissions in in place. If I hadn't, it would have been a crime. So mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a big difference there, but. But I can take that same drone that I I fight in a downtown congested environment a little bit to make sure that I I have a good connection to it all the time. And I can take it and I could fly it. I won't, but I could fly it five miles away out in the middle of the desert. No problem. So um, there's a difference that way. So you got to be a little careful there. Another thing that you need to be careful of is make sure that you set your return to home altitude high enough that it will, um, if it loses connection, and they do, but if it loses connection, you want it to rise to a point where it rises high enough that it's going to fly over the trees or the houses or the buildings or the mountain that you're flying around. So when I'm flying around mountain, I usually have my altitude set to 1600 feet, my return to home altitude, which cuts down on my flight time because it's always calculating how much time do I need to fly up to 1600 and fly home. And I don't fly at 1600 feet, but it, it, it you let it rise to the point where you regain connection to the drone and then you fly at home yourself. But you, I've had friends who have had drones that they've flown on the other side of a hill or something loses connection and it decides to fly home through a tree or through a hill or through a mountain because it doesn't know that there's nothing in between the mountain. I, I mean, be, you know, it, it doesn't know that there's an obstacle in between where they started and where they ended up, where the drone ended well, don't, up. Well, don't a lot of those drones have sensors to prevent that from happening? They do. And um, so I'll, I'll tell you what happened is, is I was up at the Utah State Capitol building and I was taking pictures and I've got some really killer night. I've done this several times where you look over the shoulder of the Capitol building down into, you know, the downtown Salt Lake. And it's beautiful. Um, I, I had the drone line of sight. You have to have a, a different strobe on it to make sure that you can fly up there at night and everything. And I had moved from where I started so I could keep it line of sight as I was flying it kind of, I was doing kind of an orbit around the, the top of the dome. And, um, I'd only gotten permission to fly to 200 feet up there um, during that time. And the Capitol Dome is 270 feet tall. Oh, And (laughs) it's Wi-Fi congested enough. I could still see it. And I had moved from where we took off from to where I I could remain line of sight. And I flew that drone kind of around the edge of it, got close to where I couldn't see it, but I could still see it. And it lost connection and decided to return to home. But returning to home would take it right through the Capitol Dome. And I didn't set it to go higher than the than the capital, which I should have, because I didn't have permission to fly up there. And so mm-hmm. it starts flying right towards the Capitol Dome, and it reconnects, and and it gives you the video before it gives you the controls. And so I'm watching it go right into the side of the dome, and I'm like, oh, no, and it's dark. And so the sensors don't work as well at night. Oh, and uh-huh. But the dome was lit up well enough that it stopped itself about gave me a heart attack. But um, but but it's it saw it. It stopped itself. It it just, you know, backs off and it hovers until I uh, ran around to the point where I could regain it. And, and I actually kept the I, I finished the flight. So um, I got the shots that I needed there. But um, yeah, you so you got to be a little uh, careful. But you've actually. Uh crashed and lost a couple of drones before yeah i have but um not for quite a while although i was doing a, a commercial for a for um a, a film well i it was a commercial for a uh, for Blendtec blenders actually, and I went up to the Rio Tinto Stadium in Salt Lake, and I had a buddy who hired me to do this, who was a filmmaker, and I needed to back out from the loges 
where a guy had walked out with his big sm- fruit smoothie that he made. So I backed out and then I turned and it had Blendtex logo at the end of one of the, you know, on three big, huge screens at the one end of it. And I was flying backwards. And I told my, I told my buddy, I said, you've flown drones. You've got to be my eyes. You're my visual observer. Tell me if I'm, you know, close to that. If I'm not going to clear the billboard at the other end of the stadium, I got to know. And so I'm flying backwards pretty fast to get this big reveal of this billboard. And he's like, stop, stop. And boom, hit the billboard hard. I mean, we got up to it and the batteries were smoking and it, it was destroyed. That was a, that was about a $5,000 crash if I didn't have Ooh. insurance. But here's the thing, Matt, you can buy a Mavic 2 Professional and you should, and you'll spend about 180, maybe 200 bucks buying DJI Care, which is like Apple Care, and they'll replace that thing for you twice as long as you get it back. Really? They, yeah, if you crash it into the ocean, you're hosed. The other that that was a crash I had two years ago. Last year, I crashed one in the Faroe Islands. I just got off of an airplane, and I had been in in country, so to speak, for about oh forty minutes, and I'd had about three hours of sleep. Um, <laughs> you know, you know. So it's basically, coming. you were a drunk drunk driver. I totally, totally was. And there was this killer sunset going off. And it was like along those cliffs that you can see there. And I was trying to back up to the point where, because, you know, on that drone, it's not the lens that you've got. You, you, you zoom in or, or, or zoom out by physically moving the camera. Right. So I was backing up and I backed into a cliff top and, uh, oh yeah, totaled the drone. I was lucky that it didn't fall into the water or anything. It was kind of a grassy hilltop where and I think that's why the sensors didn't see it. You, I, I'll tell you, don't rely on sensors ever, but because uh, uh-huh. they didn't see it there. <laughs> and I, I went on a hike and I went and got it. And I was like, I brought this damn thing this whole way. And, and I crash it in the first 40, 40 minutes, minutes into your trip, <laughs> into this killer trip to go to the Pharaohs. It, oh man, it was awful, but I, I won't, at this point, I won't travel without. I went out when I got home. I sent it into DJI Care, and I went and I bought another one. So I have two because I'm not going to ever be in a position like that where I don't have a spare ever again. <laughs> I guess that assumes that you uh, you can actually recover it. Yeah, if you can't, they. I mean, they, you know, otherwise they're going to start replacing them for people that say they're lost and they sold them to their buddy. Right. You know, it's not right. going to work. You you've got to return something to them. Um, it, it could be. It could be a melted puddle of slag, but you got to return it to them. <laughs> so, so tell me a little bit about um, what is the part 107 license that you keep referring to? Okay. So if you're going to use um, a drone commercially, um, you have to have a part 107 license. And so that means that anybody who uh, teaches tour, you, you know, takes, takes people on tours or sells their photography or any of that kind of thing, you need a part 107 license. Now, the, the way the FAA works is a little interesting as far as this goes, because the, the FAA, oh, for example, if you had a drone, Matt, and and uh, you said, you know, my buddy's daughter's getting married in their backyard down the street. I'm going to go down there and I'm going to take some pictures. They'll love it. You can fly down there. You can come back. You can give him the pictures. If he says, oh, I love these. And he gives you some money for it. That's not commercial. That's not a commercial flight. If if uh, you took a picture of, of something that's newsworthy and it ends up on the news because the news station calls you and they offer you some money for it, even if they do, that's not a commercial flight. But if your buddy says, can you come down and take a picture of my daughter's wedding? That's commercial. You see the nuance as far as the difference, difference goes. He, I do. he hired you. <laughs> and so, um, so if you're going to do anything that's commercial, you need a part 107 license and they're not, they're not that hard to get. Um, well, before you go into the, before you go into those details about sure. what it's like to get it and all that, okay. I'm curious. So if I'm, you know, casual landscape photographer guy, and I just want to go take my drone up and get some footage that I might throw up on YouTube, or or if I want to take a, some still photos that maybe I'll put on my website for sale, is that considered commercial? If you know you're going to put them up on your website to sell them, it is. Okay. No, um, that, was the, that was the distinction that I was hoping to get clarified. Yeah. The, it, 
you know, it, it just depends on if the purpose is commerce to begin with. If you're like on, on my website, I don't have a way for people to buy pictures. I can put all the stuff there I want as a hobbyist and I'd be fine. And if somebody called me up and said, Hey, I'd like to buy one of your pictures, considering this is not how I make my living, I probably would be just fine. But I went and I, I, the reason, one of the reasons I have a part 107 is because I use it in real estate all the time. I have to have it. So that makes sense. um, What about, okay, here's another use case for drones that I've definitely taken advantage of with friends of mine. mm -hmm. Let's say you're up trip and you're scouting a location with a drone to find compositions or to find areas and you're kind of nearby. And then, you know, you take your drone up, you, you get some video footage. You're not sharing that anywhere, but you're using it. And then you're going out with your camera and taking photos of that area. Is that considered commercial use of a drone? I don't think so. I think you'd be okay as a hobbyist. No, I think you'd be totally fine as a hobbyist in a situation like that. Um, because they, I mean, what's the difference between you going up and actually scouting out a location with it and, and actually like turning the camera on as a hobbyist and taking pictures, you know what I mean? So it, I, I don't, I don't think that'd be a, pro, a problem if you went and um, you were using it on a workshop that you were leading, I think you would, uh, you know, officially you'd need a, a license. That makes sense. So do you happen to know how that's enforced? Um, unfortunately, a lot of it is, is just like zoning code or whatever. It's if somebody complains. Complaint based. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it, it, I mean, like for me, I would never put anything that I did illegal on YouTube because it's out there on the internet and somebody is going to see it. And, and, uh, I, I, I mean, I just don't play with that. I don't, I don't break the rules. I, I don't think that it's smart to do so. And um, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I'm one of those assholes that reports people like that. Cause you should, I, um, me too. I've, I've, I've seen, you know, people post footage of uh drone footage in wilderness areas, like in the mountains here in Colorado. Yep. And I report it to the national forest service all the time. And they're like, Oh, We'll reach out to them. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but I kind of wonder if they do in a wilderness area in, in a national park, they will not just reach out to you. They'll, they'll refer you to the FAA. And right? I mean, it, it, it can be a big problem with, with depending on where you are, but. All right. Well, let's, let's dive into what's involved in actually getting the 107 license. Okay. So I got mine without going to any school or anything like that. You don't need to do that. Um, Truthfully, Tony Northrup has a two-hour video that is on YouTube, and you can probably watch that. And then um, I I bought off Udemy. There's a guy in Colorado that's a commercial uh, pilot, and he did a drone course that cost me thirty-five bucks. And I watched that one as well. And then there is a uh, app that if you if you buy this app, it's about twenty-five bucks for Android or or uh, iOS. And let me see if I can find that one for you. Um, Cause I, I only pull it out every two years to do, there it is. It's just called drone pilot. Yeah. Cause and you, have re- to, you have to, you have to renew the license every two years. Yeah. Every two years. So my reoccurrence is going to be in October this year. So I'll have had my license for four years at that point. So, gotcha. but it, it's uh it's called uh drone pilot from a company called dauntless aviation, or it's called ground school. Maybe um, I, it just says drone pilot underneath it. It, the the UI on that thing is so stupid, but the thing that I like about it is as I'm driving around in my car, you can make it read you example test questions. And so uh. it actually gives you audio of that. And then you just, you know, it gives you the multiple choice, you guess one, and then it gives you the right answer kind of thing. And so cool. you can listen to those over and over and over again. And I, I mean, if you, if you did those three things, you would pass this thing no problem. It's not that difficult. The hard parts are um, learning uh, weather and airspace. You've got to be able to read uh, an actual like chart, uh, an aeronautical chart. Yeah, I was going to say, I heard that they use a lot of um, pilot language in terms of what you have to know. And that's kind of silly a little bit because you know, you're not talking to other pilots on intercom or whatever. But it's being taught by the FAA. I mean, understand, right, there's, right, a, right. 
there's about <laughs> 60,000 pilots that are licensed pilots, private and commercial pilots in the United States. At this point, there are 160,000 licensed drone pilots. I, I will mention this. If you see somebody that's flying right next to an airport with 160,000 licensed drone pilots, they're probably fine, okay? Because because you can do that. You you apply for air, airspace waiver and you can do that. People make these assumptions that people are breaking rules a lot and they're not a lot of times. The, the FAA actually came out and asked everybody that's a licensed drone pilot. And, and I, I wear... When I'm flying, I either wear a sweatshirt that is like one of those neon yellow sweatshirts or a vest that says FAA licensed drone pilot on the back so that Do the police really? don't show up. Yeah, because people <laughs> people call the police on somebody that's flying a drone all the time. And when I teach these classes, I tell people that is what you really call that. That's your invisibility cloak. That makes sense. Okay? Because cause as soon as somebody sees that, they're like, oh, he, yeah, he's okay. You know, he's taking responsibility for it. And we subconsciously don't worry about it. I've got a buddy who is a archaeologist for an engineering firm. And he, he says the same thing. We served on a planning commission together. And he's like, I can be wearing an orange like surveyor's vest like that. And I can be climbing over people's fences in their backyard and nobody worries about it. But if I'm not wearing that, the police come. <laughs> so... <laughs> It's, it is. It's like an invisibility cloak. So I would suggest that even if sense. you're even if you're a hobbyist, go get one. You can buy one for five bucks when IKEA opens again. They sell them there or, or off of Amazon, and and you get one. Even if it, I wouldn't get the one that says you're a FAA licensed drone pilot because if the if the police show up, you actually do have to show them your license if they ask for <laughs> it. So, but, but if you just wear that. yeah, if you just wear a yellow one like a, a one of these like you know, high vis vests, it, it, it makes a huge difference. So, well, so maybe that's a good caveat. Like how is the government controlling drones and maybe it's more of a current tense and then future tense. Like what are they doing now versus what's coming down the pipe? Well, um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things while I've been flying drones, the national parks ban went into place. Um, and, and so they control that, but they've actually, there are a lot of areas where they've actually made it so that it's um, easier to fly drones and it's less restrictive in some places. For example, if I want to go fly next to the runway at my local airport, I can do that tomorrow afternoon. I I get on, there's, there's this system that's called the Lance system that's run by the FAA where I can go and get an airspace waiver to fly in a certain place um, that's controlled airspace. And so I, I can do that. And, and there's, I, I never used to really be able to do that very well. Even hobbyists can do that at this point. They have access to the land system. But they've also um, gotten to the point where, like right now, one of the things that they're working on, and it's probably the reason that DJI has not released uh, like the big professional drones. They haven't released like the Inspire 3 yet. And um, they they have some, there's a series that's called the Matrice M200 series or the M210s. And those are mostly used by law enforcement, police departments, fire departments, surveyors, stuff like that. Those actually have um, a system where the pilot of the drone can see aircraft coming on their screen. So they, they can see them five to 10 miles away and they can see the flight path of the airplane. And oh, wow. DJI has committed to putting those on the new semi-pro and pro systems in the future. But they what they're they're talking about right now is there the other thing that they're working on is is the government is working on coming up with something that's called remote id that allows for law enforcement and and there's a lot of controversy here because it the way they initially draft their initial proposal is anybody could get on their phone and find out who the guy was that's flying over there and you can imagine somebody in chicago where somebody oh. sees a drone and pulls it up and goes, ah, oh, I'm going to go steal that. You know, I, it, it it's dangerous for drone pilots. And so that the, or I, could, I could imagine, a, I could imagine a situation where um, someone might, you know, someone who hates drones might do some doxing where they might go to your house and yeah, yell or, at you or something like that. Or go to your location while you've got a drone in the air that you're supposed to be taken care of and flying safely and bugging you while you're trying to be the pilot of the drone. And so there, there are some issues. I think just like a a driver's license, I think that law enforcement should have access to that and they're going to start building that in. 
to where if a drone is being flown over a stadium or it's being flown in a national park or it's being flown, you know, in an airport or right around an airport that in the future, the government will have the ability to identify the owner of the drone and their location. And I think that's, that's a no brainer. It makes sense that they do that, but I don't think you should just make it so anybody has access to that information. I, I had a situation one time where I was taking a picture of a building and I was hovering over what actually was national forest service land that was directly behind a guy's house. And I was taking a picture and I had a, a 50 millimeter lens that on the X7 is a 75 millimeter focal length. And I'm taking a picture of a big building that's like two blocks away from his house. And he sees that drone hovering out there and it's holding still for five minutes because it's taken multiple shots right at dawn. And he decides to go driving through his neighborhood and find out who's flying this drone. And he comes and he starts yelling at me. And, uh, you know, and I'm trying to answer these questions and I'm like, dude, I'm like, you know what? I, I need to do this. I need my focus to be up there. I got to do this safely. I've got a job to do. Why don't you call the police and have them come straighten you out? And he, he was pretty self-righteous about it. And he did. I was feeling a little bit threatened. So, so he called the police and the police came and told them, told him that they were going to ticket him um, for, for harassment and possibly assault if he didn't leave. (laughs) <laughs> was great. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I guess, you know, it's an, it, that brings up like an interesting mm-hmm. uh, dilemma around drones in general, because obviously they can be disruptive for people that are around the drone. Yep. And as a drone operator, you may or may not always be aware of who is in earshot of the drone. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you manage that as a drone operator? Well, that's totally true. And I mean, I was I was doing a tour up in, you know, where a bunch of us went and rented a, a bus up in, uh, you know, one of these big tundra buses up in Yellowstone. And yeah, yeah. we we got talking about drones and national parks and I, you know, I know like right now they just like outlawed low level lighting at at Zions and and at Arches, which pisses me off. But um you know, there, there's one photographer that I know of that's trying to, to do a proposal that says that on odd days, you have no low-level lighting and on even days, you it's allowed kind of thing mm-hmm. so that people who like it and people who don't like it can get along. I mean, the national parks belong that to all of fair. us, right? So I, my my idea is make it so that if somebody wants to fly a drone, obviously don't let them fly. No harassing animals. In, in the UK, you can't land or take off within a half a kilometer of any people or animals if you're flying a drone, but they'll let you fly in a national park. And what that would do is that would preclude anybody from flying in the Yosemite Valley, period, right? You're too close. There's always somebody somewhere that you don't know is there. So pretty much you'd just be shut out of an area like that. But the Yosemite Valley is one-tenth of the Yosemite National Park. And if if on Mondays you could go fly your drone within those parameters and, you know, in Yellowstone, you, you know, don't fly over any geological sensitive areas. You know, you can't fly over hot pots and you can't fly over springs. Although they say they're worried about stuff going in the spring. I went up there again um, recently and it was on a windy day and I saw seven hats in one day that had flown into the grand prismatic spring off people's heads, you know? So it, 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 <laughs> you ought to outlaw hats, but, um, don't but, worry. They're going to get cooked, cooked, right. <laughs> Boiled to death. And then they'll go away and sink in the mud. <laughs> I, I don't know. But, but I was talking to this guy and he's like, I don't like them cause they're noisy just. And I'm like, what did you say? Cause I can't, I can't hear him because of the snowmobiles that are passing. Right. Right. It, it is kind of a double standard in some ways. Yeah, it's like it's like in some look, of those areas anyway. Yeah, we we deal with noise and noise pollution from Harley Davidsons that are doing a nice cruise through the national park and snowmobiles and chainsaws and sometimes in national forest and all kinds of things all the time and the cool thing about a drone is that a drone can only fly for at most 30 minutes and it's not going to be right bothering you for the whole 30 minutes. I mean, you could probably put up with it for the five or 10 minutes that it might be buzzing around you making as much noise as maybe a weed eater. But the other thing that's, that's interesting is that my big drones 
are noisier because the more air you have to move, the noisier the drones are. But they have made such a great package with these little tiny guys where you're carrying really, really good cameras with a very small drone. They're getting quieter and quieter and quieter. And they they are really quiet at this point um, compared to the early ones. So maybe it's a matter of, you know, limiting the decibel output of a drone and then that would you know maybe that's a sweet spot where you can operate a drone but it needs to be a quiet drone yeah fair enough yeah i mean i guess one of the one of my least favorite experiences that i've ever had as a photographer was in iceland and i was at you know the ever popular vestrahorn and it wasn't that busy i want to say there was probably only 15 20 people on that whole area which is a pretty big area Mm-hmm. But there was like seven drones, and oh, I was, wow. and I was, and they're like flying right above me, and like, yeah, I was like constantly for like two hours straight, just drone, 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 and it, and it pissed me off for sure because it was an amazing scene. I was having an amazing experience in nature in a location I've never been before. That's one of the most surreal places on earth, and just the drone ruined my experience. So like, I I I get both sides of it. Yeah. I totally get that here in Utah and in Oregon, I've flown at a lot of the state parks and some of the busier state parks, the, the, the state parks in Oregon and in Utah that I have experience with have individual rules per park. It's not like you just go learn the rules for flying the drones for all of Utah state parks or all of Oregon state parks. They're different park by park because different parks have different situations. So if, and and for example, if you go to um, Dead Horse Point in Utah, you can fly a drone, you go buy a permit. And really you think the permit, buying the permit is an excuse for them to be able to handle and you the sheet that gives the specific rules for that park. And <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, it says don't fly from the parking lot and, you know, stay away from these areas where there's a lot of people and a few things like that. But the other thing is, is that at Dead Horse Point, they don't let anybody fly in the summer. You can fly from October till like March. And that's it because they figure it's too busy during the other times. And that that's why I'm saying, look, you know, there's a a very few of us that are real serious about drone photography. And I don't think that anybody should be able to hassle any animals, but, but I would love to go fly. Even if they said, okay, it's the first Monday of the month at this this national park is the drone day, you know, (laughs) it's drone day. It's drone day at Yosemite. (laughs) Yeah. So, so you, you do something. I'd I'd love that. But, um, and, and I'll, I'll keep pushing for, for reasonable accommodations where they need, you know, where they can be accommodated. Um, Because I think that if you have reasonable accommodations, you're actually going to have better adherence to the existing rules that are there because they may, if, if they make sense, people follow them better. You know what I mean? No, I agree with that. I do. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. And, and so I, but, but I'm also one of those guys who, you know, if I see somebody flying a drone in a national park now, I'll turn them in, you know, I, I mean, right, usually like, I can't do that. <laughs> well, well it, it's not just that I can't do it. It's that I don't want it to affect other people's perception of something that I love and enjoy doing. No, that makes a lot of sense. You know, so thank you. No, that, that's, I think that's, I think that's why well, that's one of the reasons why I do it. Cause I don't want people to associate all photographers as being disruptive to nature, you know? Right. And there, there are places and times that we should use our better judgment not to fly because there's people all over the place and you're going to ruin somebody else's experience. But you go back on a different day and there's nobody there. You know, if, if everybody had good judgment, we wouldn't have to have these rules, you know, but that's, that's, that's why they're always there. the problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the whole problem with COVID-19 right now. Yeah. It's like, you know, if, if everyone had really good judgment, we wouldn't have to put all these crazy rules into place. But the problem is like people cannot, people just in general, don't think super cohesively on their own. Oh I my found. gosh. My wife in general. Was, I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, my wife was looking at, at uh, Facebook last night and she's like, I can't believe this because th- these, it, it, pardon me, but I, I mean, I think that we need to open the, the country up as soon as we can and we need to do it really carefully and we need to think about 
what is going to keep those that are vulnerable safe while yeah, still be allowing thoughtful the, about it. the economy to work. Um, but they're having this dumb rally up at the state capitol building or or something of open the open the country up kind of thing, and all these people are showing up with these political banners and trying to I, and and I've got a friend that's up there, and I'm like, ah, oh, but why are you doing that? But at the same time, then she looks, and a girl that she went to high school with says. I mean, she's posting on Facebook. She's like, my husband and I got, uh, you know, diagnosed. We, we have it. And we're going to this rally. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, well, they're pissed that the people are doing it. It's not that they agree with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're pissed that they're doing it. So they're going to go there and make everybody sick. And I'm like, oh, man, you got idiocy on both sides right here. This is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, it makes I, me crazy too, man. We don't just, have too many cases. We could probably handle the impact from that one experience, but still, it's just stupid. It is. Well, awesome, man. So winding down, who would you recommend for the podcast? Well, I I uh, I had to sit there. I, I mean, I've got a lot of good friends that are photographers. You've David Hunter's been on here a couple times. I've yeah. A lot of these guys, I'm like, well, let's see, who have I slept with, right? Because I mean, and I'm not talking about, you know, that, that, who have I had a camp out with or slept over or shared a hotel room camping with, you know, on a trip with, and, and Arp and Daz is one of those guys, but you've already talked to him and David Hunter and stuff. And so the, the other, a couple of the other ones that I think are really good, um, that I don't think you've talked to yet. One is, um, Kirk Kais. And I, I love that guy. And I, uh, he he's always the guy that I split the bed with when we go on trips and, uh, <laughs> and, and he's, he's awesome. He's been doing this a lot longer. I mean, he's done silver halide printing, you know, I mean, he's been doing this for a long time and uh, has lugged a four by five and an eight by 10 around. And um, he, he, he's really good. He's really good at uh, night photography. He's kind of involved with the uh, uh, Milky Way photographers website. And yeah, I think um, he, he built that, didn't he? Yeah, he he he's really spent a lot of time on it. Um and yeah. and he's kind of a quiet person just lets his uh photography sit out in front, but he also knows the Southwest really well. Um Southern Utah yeah, he probably yeah, yeah. knows more about than I do. Um it, and and he's great and uh, yeah, I'm very high quality photography from him. Um another person a woman who i think that would be great to be on and she's gotten so good in the last few years is uh, mary beth kaczynski and mary beth has done a lot of milky way and night photography but a lot of regular photography as well she's from chicago and she she uh she's out of work right now because she she goes like her job is she goes to and does um auto shows and so it gives her an opportunity to travel all over the place. And she always takes her camera with her and tries to get a couple extra days in different places. And she's really good. And somebody that you haven't talked to before, I'd say Eric Bennett, but I know you've talked to him. He's local um, here in Utah with me, but I've got another, another friend who's uh, John Miraki. Uh, it's J A N M I R A C K Y. And he's from the Czech Republic. And uh, I, I actually hired him as a photography tour guide through Viator um, when I was over there um, and, and kind of struck up a friendship from, from that. But he leads um, workshops and goes and shoots. He's married to a girl. I think she's from Argentina. So he, he's, he's done a lot down, um, down there. He's done a, a bunch of work in the Dolomites, Iceland, um, Laos and Thailand. He, he's good. And so he might awesome. be, he might be another one that's really good. And then I've got one other guy, except he doesn't do landscape photography. So I don't know if I'd talk to him, but Vic Moss is a really incredible, um, architectural and aerial photographer and he's from Colorado. So he might be worth uh, talking to as well. Sweet. You know, I get, it's funny. I get questions about architecture fairly regularly and I'm like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> really? <laughs> you know? I, I yeah. love it. Now I, know love I can the, refer them to you at least. Yeah. Uh, architecture. Um, I especially like religious architecture. Um, you know, I love shooting cathedrals over in Europe. It's one of my favorite things ever. I could go and do that for days on end. So right. um, that it, it, it's a, a, it just blows my mind what people have been able to do going way back. And, and I think part of it is, you know, you've got a city like, uh, 
Edinburgh or something like that, and you look and, and you realize that probably 10% of the gross product of that city for years on end went to building this building, you know? And it's right. like, it's just like, holy crap. I, how did they do this? They don't, they didn't even have an a engine, you know, they, I don't, I don't know right. how they do that. And then my wife and I like to travel a lot and, um, and we've gone, I mean, we've, we've been married for almost six years and we have not, well, aside from going to the Faroe Islands last year, we have not gone um, out of the country for a year. And while we've been married, we've visited 35 countries. Oh, Wow. Yeah. And so we, 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 I mean, we're selling our house and downsizing to a townhouse right now so that we can travel more. And um, yep, we're, we're going to have a smaller footprint and less responsibility that way so that we can be gone more. Um, But, you know, I, I'm sitting there and I, the first time I went to Rome, I'm looking at all that and I'm going, I am, I'm just gobsmacked you know i i'm like how did they do this and and she's like she's like we need to go to egypt she's been to egypt like three times and been to jordan and petra and everything like that i'm like i i I," she's like this was built you know 1500 years ago and you're blown away let's go see something that was built four thousand years ago (laughs) yeah you know, and so I, it's 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 astounding what people have been able to accomplish, and it in some situations it rivals nature. So mm. uh, cool, man! Well, dude, thank you for dropping the drone knowledge. I really appreciate it. Oh, anytime, and you should get one, Matt. You should use it responsibly, but you should get one. And uh, you know, if it, I mean, really, everybody out there right now, if a Mavic 2 Professional is going to cost you 1500 bucks. If you spend 2000 you can get the Fly More combo. If you look for one used, you ought to be able to get a Fly More combo, which includes a couple of extra batteries, a car charger, a bag, a, a multiple battery at the same time charger. Um, yeah. it, it, for You could get one of those used for about 1500 bucks, And now you can put DJI Care on a used drone. Okay. Nice. So you could buy one used and then you have to go through this little rigmarole with it to show them that it actually works still. And then you can actually get DJI care on a used drone. So for 1500 bucks, you you can get a, a drone that literally is probably the second best photography drone on the market. And it is about the size of a 70 to 200 millimeter lens. So it yeah, probably weighs insane. a little less. And, and so you can yeah. stuff it in your backpack and have it with you and uh, don't bug people with it. Cause you'll make us all look bad, but um, it, it's amazing. I, I know Jeff, Jeff um, Peterson got one. Did you know that? I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> that makes he sense. Got one. He, well, he's, he's been so anti drone and everything like that for a long time with me, but I've talked to him a lot about it. And I, when he was first learning how to fly it, I talked to him a bit. I, here, here's another point. I mean, I've got a bunch of pointers when you guys, when you, if you get a drone and you're first learning how to fly it, don't do not fly it around until you get it up to a hundred feet in the air. Because there's nothing to crash into up there. You make a mistake, you push the stick the wrong way, that you're not going to smash into the, your car or somebody or the front of your garage. You might get a neck your ache. face. Right. <laughs> but put it up to 100 feet and fly it up there. And when you're done flying it, if you're nervous about landing it, push return to home and let it land itself. Yeah. Okay. They're pretty they, amazing machines, yeah. man. Yep, they are. So. Cool. Well, thanks again, bro. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to to, to join me on the with, for the chat. Oh, no problem. And if anybody wants to go see drone photography, I've got a website, so they can go there. Oh yeah, we'll definitely we'll definitely put that in the show notes, man. Okay. Yeah, it's super cool. fun. So, well, awesome, hey, dude. it was great to talk to you, and uh, it it I I enjoy it. I don't get to talk to you enough. Um, I, I, I could talk to you for hours about, you know, photography now, but we'll do that a different time. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, bro. All right. Well, thanks so much to Drew for joining us for a great conversation on the podcast. If you enjoyed our chat, please join us for a bonus episode over on Patreon where Drew opens up and tells us all about his experience raising his son who happens to be transgender. 
Drew is a Republican Mormon living in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I can assure you that his experience and insight are exceptional and worth listening to. Also, thanks to our most recent Patreon supporter, Jeannie Sumral Ahero. I greatly appreciate your support. Thank you so much. I hope you find that the show provides you with some value. Even though it is free, I believe that if you think that it provides you with value, that you'll find a way to support it. And that's why we've set up our Patreon page at patreon.com slash fstopandlisten. We have an amazing community of photographers in our family here on the podcast, and I'm hopeful that I can find ways to highlight the great work that our community is doing out there in the world. So thank you all so much for your support. I did want to tell you about some other upcoming opportunities to join me at two amazing photography conferences where I will be teaching, recording podcasts, and moderating panel discussions with some of the world's best and brightest landscape photographers. First up, I will be at Out of Moab from September 13th through 17th, which I think will be a lot of fun. And lastly, I'll be at Out of Acadia from October 4th through the 8th. I would love to see you there. I have a special offer for podcast fans. You can get $250 off your registration for either of those conferences by using the code P-A-Y-N-E at checkout. Just head to the show notes for a link. All right, well, here's who is coming up on the podcast. Had a really fun time chatting with uh, large format photographer Nick Carver. Also had a really fantastic time chatting with John Barkley. And pick the brain of a younger photographer named Ethan Deshays. Actually, tonight I'm recording with Todd Cottle. And then coming up, we're recording with Manuel Palacios, Margaret Soraya, Joseph Roybal, Felix Inden, Elizabeth Brontano, and William Neal. All right. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. We'll see you next week.